Welcome back, my friends, to the Sweet Spot, where IT leaders share the inside with all leaders and others who want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and it's every week. I have my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hello, guys. Hey, Carlos. Hey Are we in the same time zone? Are we in a different time zone? Not, not even close. Are, are any of us in the same time zone? I'm in EST. Yeah. Well, at least you're in your normal time zone. I'm in, I'm in uh, PST, so not my normal time zone. Is there an office in PST or are you in the plant? Well, it's both. both. Fair enough. <laughs> both. Both. I was, I'm, I'm touring one of our plant locations. Uh, did a tour uh, Wednesday, did a tour yesterday. Nice. Kind of, um, I, I mean, I find, I, frankly, I find it fascinating. And I, I, I almost think they find it a little annoying because some of the questions I, I ask or some of the things that I say, um, I, I, don't, I don't know that they're necessarily interpreted well. <laughs> right. But you're I, looking I, I don't first. have that intention, but you know, uh, yeah. why, why, why do you do this this way? It seems like we don't, haven't done it that way in 20 years. <laughs> right. Maybe right. if you state it that way, that's probably <laughs> a little offensive. Yeah, I, I probably should state it differently than that. Is it is, at the end of these tours? Is it like the the Hershey chocolate factory? You get like a, a bag of chocolates and stuff, or uh, that would be awkward take home an air conditioner? Is that? I, yeah, I don't think we make anything that's small enough for you to carry on a flight. <laughs> there's no, there's no, uh, there's no store at the end. There's no chocolates. No, no, no. We probably need to work on that, right? We need a gift shop. Yeah, some mug. <laughs> oh, actually, Something. wait, wait, wait. I went to the air conditioning factory and all I, I got was this I, I did get a mask. Oh, nice. <laughs> did you have booties? Like, did you have to do the whole, was it a white, uh, sorry, a clean room? Uh, it was not a clean room. Oh. I mean, you know, we, we, we produce industrial equipment. I'm not <laughs> sure that a clean room makes sense for us. <laughs> right. There's no internal parts that require. Right. And my beard is so large, you wouldn't likely invite me into a clean room anyhow. Right, exactly. There's, there's too much natural shedding that occurs. You, you get the window view, Mr. Holton. Right. right. <laughs> but I did get to see our, um, our our robotic welding station. Um, that was that was pretty awesome, and cool. and um, I got to see some some um, IP, which was cool. Right. You mm -hmm. don't normally associate, you know, IP with with kind of traditional home and commercial tech, like the technologies for air conditioning and water heating has been around for hundred and something years, right? For water heating, right. especially a few hundred years. So, you know, you know, there's not a whole lot that leaps to mind when you talk about uh, intellectual property. Right. But, um, but, but frankly, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Production lines are fascinating regardless of what you build. I, it's always funny when, you know, talk to the layman of manufacturing and they, every, everybody envisions a factory plant to be, you know, one line, one long production, right? Machine that's going on this conveyor belt and makes changes and adds to the parts when in fact, it's mostly individualized machines and a cart or a robot is moving it from machine to machine, right? Because like it's, a plant isn't designed as a roller coaster generally. Well, yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not ever designed as one thing, anyhow. Right. Right. There are there are some exceptions, but for the most part, the plant was chosen as a space rather than designed for the space. Right. You do a thing the day it was chosen that has since changed and evolved over time, 
right? There's never right. just one production line because best case scenario, you've got to produce at least two products from that same manufacturing facility, which necessitates more than one production line. Right. The, the likelihood that they're produced the same or even similarly, <laughs> right? Out, again, outside of some specific things is, yeah. is relatively non-existent. So, so, you know, you may have something that can be highly assembly line produced, but you may have something that's, that cannot, right? Um, you may have something where you, the assembly is done in a series of very small, very narrow stages that go from person to person to person. Right. And, yet, and you may have another thing where, okay, cool. So we did all the work that could be done that way. Now somebody's going to sit and assemble a wiring harness. Right. Right. And that just may be what you have to do. do. And so, so that thing is going to sit, you know, at one person station for 30 minutes, in which case you may have, or, or an hour. In which case you may have 12 stations where before you had one right right same product same line and yet it has to change there because the work has changed significantly right something along those lines so yeah. it's I, I just i find it fascinating and then you know we get into things that i also find really interesting right adhesion of paint i i just i think it's a neat topic right um you know how to spot well disparate disparate metals or how to weld disparate metals together. Again, I find fascinating. Don't even get me started on fluid dynamics. I didn't realize how interesting that was until a couple of years ago where um, it was automotive related, right? But but I was um, looking, I, I was reading some research on whether polishing and porting the intake manifold is something that you want to do in um, naturally aspirated versus forced induction. So turbocharger or um, supercharger, right. um, only to find that in naturally, aspirated, right, where you don't have those things, porting and polishing helps. However, in the case of force induction, the opposite is true. And it led me down a rabbit hole of, of fluid dynamics to really kind of help to understand why. And since then, I've been really fascinated with how air and water and liquid move. I guess let's, gas let's, let's pause for a second, because I'm really interesting to see how Carlos is going to transition this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, on that. <laughs> and, and, and if you think about what, how I just mentioned about how in an assembly line to end up delivering the same product, it has to go through different stages to get the end result and that the factory was not built for the product, was picked for the space, we can look at a leader in the way it communicates or it share information or it create content or it professionally learn the secrets of interviewing. It uses everything that it has at its disposal to be able to create a roadmap for their content. What do you think about that? I think as a transition <laughs> that had a lot of distance to it, but really wasn't the worst transition I've seen so far. I agree there was a lot of words in that transition. Yeah. <laughs> I have to compete with Howard. <laughs> you, still, you still felt short on number of words by quite a bit. Ah, so what are we talking about again? So we're looking at as a leader, we interview for a lot of different things. We may be doing an interview to hire someone. We may be, I'm gonna call it interviewing when we meet someone new within our organization and we're trying to see how they're gonna interact with our team 
or we actually maybe interviewing for a podcast, for doing a video, for doing something externally. So what are some of the secrets to be successful on doing all those processes? So, so uh, I, I think the, the main rule is ABC. Always be closer. Exactly, exactly, right? The winner gets a Cadillac, second place gets steak knives, third is fired, right? Um, <laughs> anyone that doesn't get the reference, please look it up, right? But, but the fact is um, at the executive level, always be closing, right? At every level, you are in sales. You may not want to be in sales. You may not want to acknowledge that you're in sales, but you, you're always selling something. You're selling you, the work that you do. You're selling your ability to do that work, right? At the executive level, you've moved beyond simple selling and now you're in closing, right? I'm in the room because I need someone to make a decision while I'm in the room or I've wasted my time in the room, mm-hmm. right? And closing is, is in fact the decision point. Selling is, is a, a, a move forward point. Closing is a decision point, right? So, so it's really always be closing, I think, is, is the main advice I would give. I agree. And whether it's five minutes or an hour, the philosophy here is you can't, you can't finish on a low note. You have to finish on the high note with the actual action, with the actual, this is what I need you to do, with the actual, here's my point that I just made. Even if you have to start with a sort of capturing conversation to say, here's an interesting opinion you probably don't share, but I'm going to try to justify it over the next five minutes. And at the end of this justification, you're going to now agree with me because I've convinced you it's true. And by the way, your action is now to go do this for yourself, which is awesome. It is a hard to do that. It is a uh, experienced, talented person to try to make that happen every time. Um, and this is what we attempt to do every week on the podcast. Do we want to give them the secrets of our podcast interviewing success? I, I mean, the truth is, it's what we try to do in every conversation we have to some degree, right? Yeah. Uh, less, hopefully less so with our families, but <laughs> right. professionally for sure, right? Anytime we're in a professional situation, we really try to, to carry that, that, that same concept forward, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's I, I think it's valuable to uh, to have a conversation about it because uh, we were talking before the podcast, um, and Paul and I had both done interviews very recently, where the response from the interviewer, with us as the interviewee, the response from the interviewer was almost identical. Mm-hmm. Right. So so Paul, why don't you give the background of of uh, sure. The so I was doing a interview, a very, very short interview, a recorded interview. In fact, that's why you see the background as you see it now, which is unique. Usually there's a green screen and a, and a, and a picture behind me, but that wasn't going to work for this particular interview. In fact, the green screen without a picture also didn't work. They needed a natural background. Five minutes, single topic. Uh, they created uh, 90 minutes worth of recording time. Uh, they had an expectation of three questions and multiple recordings that there might be some both uh, physical outages. In other words, I was looking away from the camera or some audios, you know, a lot of ums and ahs. Uh, and they were fully expecting this to take at least an hour. And it took 11 minutes. The reason why it took 11 minutes uh, were several fold. <laughs> fold number one, 
uh, Howard and Carlos and I do this on a weekly basis and we're comfortable having conversations and leading to a point and, and having an interesting perspective almost every time we talk, especially in, in this hour long podcast. Number two, they gave me the questions beforehand. So I had an appreciation to uh, determine what I thought the answers should look like, at least formulated an opinion before I actually answered them. Um, and three, we are really good at giving a single answer in a cohesive way, uh, mostly because we've done it for 30 years. And therefore, there's not a lot of ums, not a lot of ahs, not a lot of looking away from the cameras. We're specific, discreet, and we get to the point really, really quickly. Rare to do that. It takes experience. It takes, um, it takes people evaluating your performance. Uh, and you have to fail a bunch before you sort of determine that this is sort of the best approach to make it happen. How, how are your experience, Harv? Mine, mine was similar, right? It was a 15-minute interview. We did an interview prep, so I had a pre-call, which isn't something that I overly care about, right? Uh, they email me the questions. What do you think of the questions? Sure. Um, all right, we're going to do an interview prep call to just kind of you know, see what your thoughts are. So they, it's basically, they just run the interview without recording. Here's the question. I answered all the questions. There were three or four. Um, then the day of the call comes, I had completely forgot about it as, as usual. Um, I hop on the call. Cool. What are we doing? Oh, we're doing the, the interview for those questions that we blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. Um, do you remember the questions? Not even one. Do you remember the topic? No. Okay. Well, here's the topic. Oh, okay, cool. I'm good. You ready to record or do you want to go through the questions again? No, I don't, I don't see the point. So we go through the questions and I answered all of the questions that we had two issues. One was the interviewer messed up the question, so I wanted to re-record. The other one was we had a technical issue. I just lost audio for a minute. Um, otherwise, we didn't really re-record. The, the funny part was I didn't answer any of the questions the same way I answered them the first time. Of course not. And as that's I how you present room, on stage too, though, in fairness. That is, that is. <laughs> there was, there's never been a time where, where I've been interview prep, where someone's asked me a question, and then we do the interview, and I answer the question the same way. Right. Unless it was like, we're going to do 30 minutes of interview prep, then 30 minutes of recording, you might get some similarities out of that. Right. In this case, it was, it was really a question about kind of the job market. Right. And the biggest concern that I have right now is what's being called the great resignation. And that was the same kind of thing that I had before, but it'd been two weeks since we did the interview prep. And in those two weeks, I'd read a lot more. I'd been exposed to a lot more perspectives. I'd seen a lot more direct damage. Right. I'd, I'd read a lot more researched articles on the issue. Right. And so I had a slightly different focus at the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but this is the reason why those things are successful more than anything else, right? This is the ability to kind of exercise the muscle of quick reaction. So if we think about the way that you guys responded to that, and we take it to leaders within our organization, did you have to do any research or did you pull from your expertise to be able to answer those questions? I think the answer to both of those is yes, mm -hmm. but I didn't do any direct research, which I think is okay. really what, what you were asking, right? Um, but had I not already 
been fascinated by the topic, I likely would have had to. Had I, had I already not been exposed to the topic and, and, and formed an opinion, um, I, I likely would have had to, right? Um, it, it just happens to be that I'm fascinated by a whole bunch of things and that I spend a significant portion of my life reading stuff not directly related to what's immediately in front of me, but rather what tickles my fancy. Yeah, I agree. Ex leaders should be expected to be well-read, not, uh, not read so much that they understand every topic and can deep dive on any technology that they may or may not use, but at least to have a point of view or perspective on it. Uh, it is rare, in fairness, that I would be interviewed on a topic that I have no content on. Uh, I might have questions within an interview that I'm less aware of, um, and I generally have a perspective on it, but I might not have a point of view on it. I might not have a, you know, a, a, I might not have a, a someone in the race that I really want to win. I might not have a, you know, a passioned opinion on whether this is successful or not. And if I require to have one of those perspectives, then I need to do the research prior to the interview. And there's also a technique of a professional interviewer where you steer a question to the answer you wish to give. <laughs> right. I'm being honest, right? It's not the, you know, that, that's kind of like the interviewer interviewee conflict, mm -hmm. right? Like, like Carlos's question just now, when it, where, I, where I answered, well, the truth is both, but I think this was your question, right? Um, a professional interviewee steers the conversation the way they want to get to an answer that they do have an opinion about. They have formulated an opinion, right? They do have a perspective that that has some nuance and insight to it, right? And you don't allow the interviewer to put you in the position where you know you're uncomfortable answering that question. Um, and and that's part of the the kind of practice. And that's I think part of what this podcast really does. This is an hour of the three of us steering the conversation to where we're the most comfortable by the time we're done talking about it to then let the next person steer the conversation to where they're comfortable and vice versa. It happens that we that we end up in a very tight sphere of conversation rather than a very wide one, right? But there's no reason that it has to be tight. And in some of our podcasts, right, we've started out with a conversation and steered it, someone has steered it into a completely different direction. <laughs> someone, yes, I wonder who that someone is. I know, freaking Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me go back to those questions because you mentioned that you know there are times to which you don't remember the questions that were attempting to be asked. Have you ever attempted to change the questions? In other words, here's a set of five questions I need you to answer. The next week, you look at them and say, "I don't like them. Yeah. These are the five I think you should ask me." Does that happen? Yeah, very frequently. I would say 30 to 60% of the time, hmm. like a very significant portion of the time, I reply back and I say, okay, I actually think this is a far more nuanced and interesting question for the topic that you're trying to deliver to your readers. This is the question that I would ask. And it, it may only be one in, a, right. in five questions, but if there's 10 questions, likely half of them. And I find most interviewers get three questions that are really core. And then from there, there's a little bit of drift, right? Like they'll have three of their five questions that are super tight. Right. And you can tell those are the ones that are the most important to them. Yep. But they're like, well, no one's going to take 30 minutes to answer this. And I got a 30 minute interview and I need a little bit more. Right. So I need a couple other questions. And the, the more questions you get, the more drift you get from 
you know, what I would call the, the thesis that they're trying to arrive at. And so I often will reply back and go, I, I don't like this question. I think this is what you're trying to get to. And then I'll do like a paragraph of why I think that's the right question. So, and sometimes they come back and go, okay, like I, I see your point, but this is what I was actually trying to get to. Oh, okay, well then this is the right question. Right. Uh, when I read those questions, the first thing that comes to my mind is my answer isn't what you're going to, you expect it to be. Right. And so since yeah. my answer isn't going to be this, this binary response, it's likely going to be nuanced in some way or have a unique perspective you haven't considered, the question should change, or at least the follow on series of questions should be based on how I'm about to answer it. Right. Cause I'm going to give you a five part perspective on this question. The next series of questions should be double clicking on those five parts. Yeah, I'll do that too. Cool. Sometimes it's your question isn't specific enough. It's very vague. Right. Um, and I could I could go like I could rabbit hole one of three ways. Which way would you like me to rabbit hole? And then let's refine <laughs> the question so that I'm reminded that that's the direction you want that to go, and don't pick one of the other directions. Right. Right. How how successful are you at time bounding? Right. It's a five minute interview. Can you do this in five minutes? Uh, that has to be a Carlos question because we've been on this podcast <laughs> and you know I suck at it. <laughs> that, Carlos, how good are you at time bounding? You know, it's, I try to, when I'm doing something like that, to try to keep it, I'm, I'm constantly looking at the clock or something, or if I'm guiding someone else through that, to try to wrangle that conversation. Because I think that's similar to when we're on stage, if you have five minutes, and even though it could be great content, if you end up doing 15, Next time they're going to say, we cannot leverage that person because they went over. So I think that we know the time. So I think that we do a pretty decent job at staying and we compensate. So if Howard is doing something, then we switch. I take it, you take it. Um, it's interesting because sometimes it's not Howard. Sometimes it's you, <laughs> the one that go over. Mm -hmm. and, and like, I'm, I'm thinking about it. It, it's a balance because sometimes it goes one way or another. But I think that looking at when we do interviews for people, or you guys are doing interviews for people, how do you see when the other person goes over and is not getting to the point? How do you feel from that person? So what, describe the situation again. Is this an interviewer who's going over time or some other yeah. interviewee? Could, could be could be another interviewee or could be the interviewer and you're the one on the receiving end when they go over and they're not delivering what you need. I'll tell you what's well, the I, most I stop frustrating. It I stop uh, it the, the most frustrating to me is if you're on a panel, right? And you have a moderator and interviewer and there's several panelists and you're one of the panelists and you give a tight, concise, two-minute answer, you know, that has multiple parts uh, you've been pretty prescriptive on what you think the answer is. And then you have a 15-minute run-on by the panelist beside you. Didn't really have a point. I couldn't tell you where the breakup was in any of the content. And then you're kind of expected to follow on that, right? Either they started before you or they started after you. It completely demolishes the entire panel. And it is... Uh, it makes some of those panels weak, which is probably why I'm not a huge fan of panels in general. Yeah, I, I would say that's got, that absolutely has to be the worst, right? 
to spend your time working to be a professional interviewee, mm -hmm. right? To be professionally interviewed and then be placed on a panel with five people, four of which you've never given any, any thought, right? And, and I'm okay with, you want to have a long nuanced answer, right? Um, but, but there's no handoff by those people. <laughs> right. right. So, so you'll do 90 seconds because that's what you were told to do. And, and, and look, I'm not so bad. I can't hit 90 seconds, but if you give me an open box, I'm, I'm filling the open box. Right. But, but let's say you get 90 seconds. Okay. So I will just do one thing and then I'll end at that one thing. I won't feel completed, but that's okay. Cause that's not, the point isn't for me to feel completed. The point is for me to set up someone else to have an opinion on what, what I, both I said and where I left it. Right. The, the job is to have an opinion, create some thought and then leave the door open for the next person to speak. Right. There is nothing worse than <laughs> someone that spends 15 minutes not actually delivering a thought. Right. Nor did they leave a door open that you have any interest or willingness to walk through because it looks like it's covered in barbed wire and feces. <laughs> right. Or they spend 15 minutes to answer the entire hour's worth of content. Right, so there were eight questions for each of the panelists. They first answer essentially answered all eight questions. You've nowhere to go at that point, right? You've you somebody now has answered everything, and therefore everything you say from this point forward is duplicative. It's it's a struggle to finish the last forty five minutes without seeming like you're you're just repeating. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know that I've had a case where. God, I hope I haven't done that to you and you're bringing this up to- No, no, this was recent on some IoT AI thing that the first, the first speaker said every answer and the other three speakers, which included me, had no choice but to agree with the person and then add a nuance that they thought might've had some uniqueness, which it wasn't because they spoke for 15 minutes. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 that's tough. That, yeah, that, I would say that's the second worst. At least at that point, um, I, I've likely learned quite a bit and can go, okay, cool, that'll affect my opinion moving forward. Sucks for you to be the, the interviewer, right? the, the moderator, because you got nothing, but it's not really a reflection of me. The audience likely got what they needed, which was they got all eight questions answered, you know what I mean? Versus right. the ones I hate are the ones where you can tell that they're obviously not the right panelists for this. They don't have a nuanced argument they don't have an informed opinion, right? right? Um, they just kind of got asked to do this and went, ooh, that sounds like fun. I like seeing people on stage. So it always seemed like it'd be fun. And then they get up and ramble <laughs> for 15 minutes and you're like, I, I, right. I, I can't, how do I follow that? I don't, and you can't, you can't be like, dude, I don't even know what you just said. <laughs> you know what I mean? sit back. Right. Wait a second. Right. You just spent 18 minutes rambling on about what you saw in the news this morning and what you read in the in flight magazine and neither of those were the actual topic i don't <laughs> and i have been in those panels where you're like uh mm. how about you just repeat the question and i start from scratch i, I don't know. Right. has that made you a better moderator or has that hate is that created a thought in your mind that you don't want to be a moderator that being the interviewer isn't the best place to be uh, i mean my fantasy dream job is to be a like investigative news anchor, mm. right? I want to be Will McAvoy from the newsroom <laughs> more than more than I want to be Superman, right? Um, but I don't think like I don't I don't know I'd either be spectacular at it or I would be bloody awful. Mm. Like I, 
Like, I don't think there's in between for me in that case, right? Because on one hand, yes, I would get frustrated, but then I would simply readdress the question. You're right. It's impossible for me to ask a question without providing my own perspective, <laughs> right? It's almost like I want to say, the topic is digital transformation. Here's my opinion on digital transformation. Let me give you a nuanced perspective of that. Now, what do you think? That's, that's kind of the positioning I go with, right? And hopefully the what do you think has some nuance that we can have a conversation with. My moderation turns to conversation versus question and answer. Whether that's appropriate or whether that's beneficial for the audience, I don't know. But I tend to be a panelist when I moderate. At least that's what I that's what I invoke when I'm moderating. So, so I kind of am too, but but I'm really good at. Um, so this panel's about digital transformation. What does digital transformation mean to your organization? Right. Totality that it ends. Then they kind of go through it, and then I as they go through it, I come up with follow-ons, right? Mm. And so then it'll be, well, okay, so what you've described is more digitizing. When we think of digital transformation, we're really thinking of customer centricity and this is, you know what I mean? And then right. start adding nuance that way. Um, and I find that to be more effective, but that's how I interview people, right? That's how I interview and am interviewed, right? If we look at job interviews, which, which uh, frankly, I do a lot of both directions, right? Um, I'm a, I'm a almost, if it touches technology, it's likely I'm on the panel interview here at, at, at you know, my, my main company, um, right. regardless of whether it reports up to me or not. Hmm. Right. So a lot of times what I do there is I take the job description, I take the resume, I kind of overlay them and I go, where do they intersect? And then I'm going to ask specific detailed questions there, mm -hmm. but it's always kind of, you know, here's here's a question that didn't get asked, then the answer, and then here's the follow-on question, and then we're going to drill down again. And I generally do that like four times for each question, and then I move on to the next question. Where what I'm really trying to figure out is, you know, do you do you one, do you have a nuanced opinion, and two, if somebody disagrees with you, <laughs> if somebody disagrees with you, how do you react? Turn off the light. Carlos, we have to re-record that answer. That's really tough. <laughs> right. Carlos is now frozen for me. <laughs> me too. But it looks good. It looks like he's just interested in our conversation. Oh, it does. It does. Yeah. That's the most yeah, focus I've ever froze. seen out of him. My camera froze. So I had to switch to another camera. <laughs> That's it. This whole podcast is out. Let's Scrap it. it. Time to re-record. Re <laughs> I actually it's do interesting find it funny that you when someone that. says that. Right. Oh, oh, that messed up. We got to re-record that because we don't re-record or cut squat. <laughs> Not in any way. Right. And so I'm like, okay, that wouldn't have bothered me. I don't know. Like, well, I just moved on. It's fine. Yeah. And the real reason is logistics trying to get us three in a room. But aside from that, it, it just doesn't matter. Uh, it was interesting that you said about your that interviewing style is you're looking for the intersection. Oddly enough, my my interviewing style is the opposite of that. My assumption is that if you're in the room with me that you're qualified for the position in general. Now I'm looking to compare candidates, which means I'm looking for the exceptions. I'm looking for the gaps, not the gaps uh, of you, but the gaps of the organization that you might fail, fulfill. Maybe the, or the role isn't looking for hospital background, but you have a hospital background. I'm wondering if that hospital background creates a new positive experience for us. 
or you know this technology that's not needed, but I wonder if that technology will be needed in the future. And therefore, if we hired you, we'd be, you know, a leg up. That that's kind of how I interview is is I look at the boundary to say, are you adding beyond what the role would suggest? So I only do that if I'm the final interview. Mm. But I'm not I'm not always the final interview, right? When I'm the final interview, I have two focuses. The first is um, get an appreciation for you and your fit to the culture, and two, explain what that culture is. Right. Right. And some of that that culture fit conversation is also kind of what you're talking about, right? Um, you know, yes, we're looking for a square peg for a square hole, but are you really a dodecahedron? In which case you can likely still fit the square hole, but you have a whole bunch more sides that can fit other squares and other things that we're not actually interviewing for right now, right? Um, but when I'm, when I'm part of a panel, it tends to go differently. First, I don't tend to come in with, like I'm not generally provided a ton of notes on the person, which yes. I, I would find helpful. I, I actually find most people don't have a like structured methodology when I was first doing interviews. And this is kind of every place I've ever you know, been part of panels. I take copious notes. Right? When other people on the panel are asking questions, I note every question and every response, and then my thoughts on it. Every question, every response, my thoughts on it, right? And, and so it was funny when it was all said and done, I would always go last, and then all my questions would roll up to everything everyone else has asked. But if I went into an interview and I had that series of notes, I wouldn't have to ask any of the questions. Right. Right. I would just go, okay, well, this person's qualified because they were asked these questions that were related to the JD, that were related to their experience. They answered them. Everyone came out confident. Now I know going into it, I don't have to mess with any of those. So I really can concentrate on um, what are the bonus features and what's the culture fit? Carlos, another good conversation. Thinking about all that, we went through knowing that you don't manipulate all the time. You pay attention to what the other ones are saying leverage your current expertise and what you learn and probably what you're also learning outside because it may add good commentary and be able to focus on delivering great content even though someone else take your time did i miss anything always be closing sir always be closing <laughs> always be closing so my friends it's awesome to see you again all these podcasts, the idea is that we continue to grow as leaders within our organizations because when we grow, we help everyone around us. My friends, make sure that you subscribe, you share, and we'll see you on our next episode.